Pharisees are back at it again in Matthew 15, and they really care about the apostles washing their hands. Yes, this is real, washing their hands. So in chapter 15, we have the Pharisees and uh, excuse me, and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, in the Greek, it's, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the presbyters? And the presbyters, the tradition of the elders, is the same word we use for priests. And it gives you a clue into how the Pharisees are doing their, what, what their project is. The Pharisees, um, you know, the perushim, first of all, their name comes from the separate ones. And they're trying to separate themselves from the goin, from the Gentiles. And the same ritual purity that you would have found among the presbyteroi, the priest in the temple, they're trying to make popularized for everyone. Everyone can be as clean as the priest who are actually the holy ones. And so they come to the Pharisees, excuse me, they come to Christ and say, hey, look, your disciples aren't doing our crazy, you know, Pharisee washing hand thing. And Jesus answered them, and why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And that's the intole, the commands of God. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father and mother, let him surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Okay, this is strange. If you read through this in English, you're thinking like, what? If anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. Okay, what's the context here? So the Pharisees had set up this system in Jerusalem. This is pretty bad. <laughs> so remember, there's no social security back in the day. So if your parents are getting old, then you as the child, if you're making money, you need to be um, giving some of that money to your, your parents so that they can retire. And you know, they're getting older in their age. They need some of your money. And that's established as part of the law is you're supposed to honor your father and your mother. And that means take care of them when they get old. But the Pharisees had set up a pretty ingenious system to keep their rich friends happy. What you would have gained from me is given to God. Okay, this is trying to translate a kind of difficult sentence in the Greek. The first thing it says, whoever shall say to his mother or his father, Doron, hoen ek emo opheles. So whoever says to his father or mother, gift. And Doron is translating something else, which is uh, in the Hebrew, korban. And the korban was this system by which, so that money that you would have given to your parents to keep them going, you could say that money is korban. And what that means is, hey, when I die, that money is going to go directly to the temple. So it's a gift. It's, it's a gift to God. But here's the catch. If you call it korban, that means when you die, officially, that money's going to go to the temple. But while you're alive, shoot, do whatever you want with it. Like you, you want to trade it, you want to invest it, you want to do more with your money. Great, wonderful. It's gift, it's core bond money. You know, it's sanctioned by the temple. So you don't have to give that money to your parents. And Doron, whatever if by me you might be profited. That's a weird way to translate the Greek, but you can say to your father or mother, hey, this is Corban money, you know, whatever, if by me, you might be profited, like you're not going to get profit from me. <laughs> it's so bad. So what Jesus is saying, you, however, say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, Doron, 
you don't have to profit from me, then you don't have to honor your father or your mother. So the Pharisees were profiting from their rich friends being able to continually invest their money and use their money in their own, so long as at the very end, you give it to the temple. So Jesus calls them out on this really pernicious practice where people were getting away with not giving that money to their parents and taking care of their parents, but were using it more for more investments (laughs) and for more trying to make money. Uh, So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. This is evoking a crazy section of Isaiah, and I, I'm going to read ex- some extended quotes from here. The actual quotes from Isaiah 29, um, but the whole section is, uh, is is quite profound. So Isaiah 29, 13 is where he's drawing from. The Lord said, because this people draw near with me in their, with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of my, me is a commandment of men learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will again do marvelous things with their, this people. Now, I want to go back. If we go back to Isaiah 27, we have this great prophecy about Israel's redemption, that Israel is going to be redeemed. In that day, a great trumpet will be blown, and those who are lost in the land of Assyria and those who are driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. So there's a great note that like Jerusalem's going to be redeemed, Israel's going to be redeemed. But in chapter 28, we have woes being pronounced. And so he's pronouncing woes on this remnant people, uh, uh, not on this remnant people, on, on the priests and the scoffers, the people who rule this people in Jerusalem. In, uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 10, we have, Sorry, I'll start in verse 11. Naba by men of strange lips and with an alien tongue, the Lord will speak to his people, to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they would not hear. Therefore, the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, you who rule this people in Jerusalem. Okay, so he's giving this prophecy to those who are ruling Jerusalem in this kind of corrupt moment. And notice what the word of the Lord becomes for these rulers in that time is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. And what's the end of all this like over analyzing of the law to the point that they neglect the weightier matters? They're going to go and fall backward, be broken and snared and taken. And I want to pause for just a second just to draw out the point that what the law can become, if it's this kind of like, you know, if it's this divinely appointed law, you can externalize it to a point where it becomes non-participatory. And by, by that, I mean, the only way you can get the law is by the priests who are in the Jerusalem temple, who tell you what the law is and tell you all the implementations of the law. Now, if they can, if they can use the law just for their own power, then they can minutely control your every your every your life because they're the ones who have the divine law and so they can use that to coerce you to do anything so it becomes precept upon precept line upon line so that they can control all of Jerusalem and prop up their power 
Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, you who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming scourges passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a foundation, a precious cornerstone. He who believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line, and righteousness will plummet, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through it, you will be beaten down by it. Okay, wow, okay. So what happens? This law that the Lord has made with them, because they have not kept it, they have decided to make a covenant with death. And with Sheol, we have come in an agreement. What is this covenant with death? So the law has basically become for them their means of power, that they use the law in this overwhelming sense to crush the people of Jerusalem. And they don't actually care about what the law says. They just care that you comply with their power. Now, the image again is not God has given us the law so that we can draw closer to him. What they've done is the law is this very powerful tool that we can convince all the people to believe in because we hold the law and so we can command their every act. You know, it's an ultimate act of coercion. God becomes this foreign entity that can't interfere in the affairs of the power structure that has come out of the law. <laughs> and so it becomes the letter that kills because precept upon precept, what the Pharisees are doing is they've extended this ultra law-based code system to compel everyone that you have to follow me because I'm appointed by God and I give you the law. And so you've made a covenant with death because you basically say, well, we're all going to die anyways. I'm going to be the one to take on the redemption of Jerusalem and not with God, not according to God's plan, not according to God's stuff, but according to this law that props up my power. Yeah. And and so your covenant with death is going to be annulled. And then we come to chapter 29, where the quotation's from. Ho, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamp. I will encamp against you roundabout and will besiege your, you with towers, and I will raise siege works against you. Then deep from the earth you shall speak, and a voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost. But the multitude of your foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquakes and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire, and all the multitude of the nations that fight against Ariel, it's another word for Jerusalem, all that fights against her and her stronghold and distress her shall be like a dream, a vision of the night. As when a hungry man dreams he is eating and awakes with hunger and is not satisfied, uh, so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Stupefy yourself and be in a stupor. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who can, cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. 
And the Lord said, because this people draw near with my, their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a command of men learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will again do marvelous things with this people, wonderful and marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hid. This is a crazy prophecy, I have to say. So what what's happening here? Let's get the big picture. Isaiah 27, we said that God's going to redeem all of Israel. He's going to call all of them back. Isaiah 28, we have this prophecy about the, the rulers of Jerusalem. The law has become to them precept upon precept. And they're, this people is far from me. That what they're doing is they're, they're crushing the people of Jerusalem. And they're corrupting with their power. And so what's going to happen? There's going to be this siege. And the Lord God is going to use the multitude of the nations to destroy Jerusalem. That's a, it's a crazy prophecy. I, I, you know, I will encamp against you roundabout. I will besiege you with towers. I will rage, raise siege works against you. Um, and the multitude of your foes should be like small dust. And then eventually it's going to be like, uh, you know, and, and why is this? The Lord has poured upon you deep sleep. So you're not even going to recognize, even in your sinfulness, you're not even going to recognize your sinfulness. You're not going to repent. You're going to continue in your madness. And then we have, because this people draw near with me in their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment of men learned by rote. Therefore, he's going to do these things. Okay, let's tie this back into Matthew 15. So Jesus quotes this, and the Pharisees are going to understand this whole prophecy. There's nothing better he could have said in this moment. What they've said is, you know, you're not doing this really small tradition. You're not assenting to our, our power over all of Jerusalem. And he quotes the one prophecy where Isaiah has this extended discussion of how the corruption of the priest and the Jerusalem rulers where they use the law to crush the people, that the Lord is going to send a multitude of foes and that the Lord is going to encamp against Jerusalem and destroy it. He quotes that prophecy. This is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. Uh, and we're going to spend more time on the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD, but I think this is a clear indication that that's in Jesus's mind here. Um, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD was an, an immense event. So it's the first Jewish revolt. And what happens, uh, the Jews revolt, Rome comes, and from 66 to 70 AD, there's a siege in all of Judea, and eventually it ends with the destruction of Jerusalem. And Josephus recounts this in the Jewish war. It was one of the most bloody, traumatic major battle wars in the ancient world. I mean, it was Josephus recounts a million people dying in Jerusalem over the siege. Historians disagree with him. They think it's lower, probably from 300,000 to up to 500,000, maybe at the high estimates. But it was of a seismic magnitude, 70 AD and the destruction of the temple. And here we have Jesus quoting Isaiah, which very clearly says, uh, that that destruction is coming. And this is right in the heart of this prophecy. Um, because the people drew near with me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And they only, their fear of me is a commandment of men learned by rote. And that's the problem. 
that's the problem with what the Pharisees are doing is it's just it's just a, a commandment. But we know what the prophets have said. In Ezekiel 11, he says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Um, Jeremiah 31, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. What Jesus is trying to do is bring about this new covenant of grace where the law is written in the heart, where the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the life and grace is what allows us to actually participate in the divine life. That what the Pharisees have done is the is the ultimate temptation is to take the law of Christ, to take the law that God has given them and use it as a structure to prop up corrupt authority. This brings me more to the edge of my thought, and I don't have this developed. Um, I think the person who develops develops it the most is Dostoevsky in The Grand Inquisitor, which is a story within the Brothers Karamazov, the greatest novel ever written. And he develops it really well, but the temptation is that, and and, and this, I think, uh, Michel Foucault really develops the notion that the disciplinary society that the law basically allows you to to get, um, if what the Christian message is, is participating in the divine law, in the Holy Spirit, by participating with God, being a father and being a son. I, and if the law gets written in our hearts, and then you, you have the freedom of the sons of God, the external law of Christ, the, the external laws that the church makes in its structure, you can corrupt that to prop up evil ends. That you know, the law of the Antichrist is not anarchy. And I think people get this wrong. Like, totalitarian, a totalitarian thing, in order to be effective, needs to speak to the good. It just needs to pervert the ultimate goods. Where you can, you can uh, take the law and you can disperse it. Uh, <laughs> How could you put this? It's not anarchy. What you can create systems of sin that do parodies of participatory good, where instead of participating in the good, you don't know why you're doing certain things. Why am I washing my hands? You know, oh, because the Pharisees told me to, to, and they're the ones that represent the law. And why am I obeying this law? Well, the law was given by God. And but why am I doing this? Well, I'm not actually participating in the good. I'm doing it because I was told to. And so you create a kind of master-slave relationship all the way through all of law, but it is—it's a corruption of law, where law doesn't law becomes extremely external. And uh, Foucault and the postmoderns' point is that our modern structures of political and economic um, superstructures are parodies of the law of Christ developed in the medieval age. That what you find in the medieval age is this flourishing of the church, participating in the good, and the codification of the law of Christ. But once the once Christ is removed, once the spirit is removed, when 
Europe starts to splinter, it doesn't lose those legal structures. It doesn't lose those inclinations that Christianity had developed. It hijacks them. Now you get divine right monarchs. Now you get all these crazy theories. Now you get the assertion of the rights of man against monarchy. Like Christianity didn't just evaporate and paganism re-enter right away. The legal and state structures developed immediately from a more primary ecclesial structure using the law of Christ. And so that's the reason why, you know, modern society is far worse than pagan societies in many ways, um, because it's figured out how to systematize evil in a way that's only made possible by taking the law of Christ and perverting it. You can have, you know, Islamic societies can take the early, the gospel and that type of stuff and develop these heresies. And then you develop caliphate and all this type of social structures, but only a Christianity that is very, that is matured very much in medieval Europe can take the legal structure and then make, you know, the behemoth that is modern, um, (laughs) modern state structures. Um, I think Fulton Sheen was the one who said, you know, the state is the ape of the church, that what the state really has become is this anti-church as an institution. It's what you're, you're brought into. The legal structures are still, have these remnants of Christianity, but they've, they've taken the ends and they've perverted it. So I think what we're seeing here with the Pharisees is uh, everything's become precept upon precept, propping up their power, and Christ is taking them on. He's he's not going to step down from the challenge. And there's a lot more on law that I don't have completely figured out, um, but I think is found here in Matthew 15. Uh, yeah, this stuff about Corban, what, what you would have gained from me is given to God, that stuff's absurd. Uh, honor your father and mother. That's all I'm going to say. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this one, and I'll see you in the next one.